There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. This episode is a rerun. It originally aired in 2018. My talk today is about osteoporosis in postmenopausal women. Basically, I'm talking about more, you know, for female issues. So, what is osteoporosis? Basically, osteoporosis is uh, the low bone mass and also micro uh, microarchitecture disruption, and also increase the <coughs> bone fracture. So, how do we diagnose osteoporosis? Uh, first, uh, we needed to know what the uh, patient uh, fracture risk factor is. What are those risk factors we talk later? And uh, clinically, we always order bone density, use bone density as a tool to diagnose osteoporosis. When the bone density T-score is uh, less than, uh, it's less than minus 1.0, that's considered normal. Uh, anything more than minus 2.5, that's osteoporosis. And uh, in between, it's uh, osteopenia. So, um, so what is the risk factor for osteoporosis? Uh, age is a bigger risk factor. Usually, we consider a woman postmenopause after age 65, it's a risk factor. And the previous uh, bone fracture, particularly the wrist fracture, hip fracture, and the spinal fracture is a high risk factor for osteoporosis. And also for those patients, they require steroid treatment for other medical issues, like uh, asthma patient. And uh, some patients, uh, they have uh, you know, the cancer requires steroid treatment. <coughs> also certain diseases like rheumatoid arthritis, uh, you know, the lupus patient, uh, they use the steroid um, for more than six months, consider long-term uh, treatment. And uh, the other risk factor is uh, Skinny, you know, the very thin, low bone, uh, low low weight patients, and the Caucasian also considered as a risk factor. Um, usually, the uh, body body mass index less than twenty. That's a, you know, it's a considered the uh, risk factor. Family history, it's another uh, the risk factor for osteoporosis. Um, particularly if uh, they have a family history of uh, fractures. Uh, you know, the parents, uh, mother, sibling had a hip fracture. That's a risk factor for the patient. Cigarette, cigarette smoking, it's another, you know, risk factor. So cigarettes, it's a really bad thing. Has a lot of uh, compa compact to the body. Cause cancer, also cause, uh, you know, uh, osteoporosis. Excessive alcohol intake. Uh, which means patient drinks every day, particularly for those patients, they drink more than two glasses of a, you know per day. That's uh, considered excessive alcohol intake. So, who needs a bone uh, density test? Who needs those osteoporosis screening? So, our current recommendation is a bone density. Should we need to do the bone density test for all? over age 60, 65 or older in female, basically. And also for those patients, uh, they are post-menopause women, 
they are not age 65 yet, but uh, they have at least one or more those uh, fracture risk factors we just uh, talked uh, you know, earlier. We do not uh, suggest uh, to perform routine bone density in premenopausal women. Only a few exceptions, you know, for those uh, idiopathic uh, fracture patients, then sometimes we will consider. And also, we are not really do a routine uh, bone density test for men because we don't have a very good data about uh, treatment and the benefit for male patients. So we do not do a routine bone density test in the uh, male patient. So how do we manage, uh, you know, osteoporosis? Couple of things. Uh, first, we need uh, to, you know, do a lifestyle measure, um, and uh, the other part is uh, basically medication treatment. So, what is the uh, lifestyle measures? One is the calcium and the vitamin D. Our, you know, recommendation for calcium treat osteoporosis, it's uh, at least 500 milligram a day, and uh, between 500 to 800 milligram. This is a combination. Uh, between uh, diet and a supplement. Vitamin D for osteoporosis, the recommendation is 800 international unit. That's just for osteoporosis. It's not, a, you know, uh, it's not for daily supplement. A routine daily supplement, internal medicine will often recommend 2,000 unit a day, um, vitamin D. Exercise, it's a weight-bearing exercise, uh, which is uh, the exercise we improve osteoporosis, particularly for spine and the hip joint. And also muscle strengthen, those exercises is also important, like yoga exercise, Pilates, those are good exercise for osteoporosis. Stop smoking, that's the other issue. We need, a, you know, the smoking patient really need, a, if you have osteoporosis, stop smoking, it's the very important, you know, action. So, um, Regarding the pharmacological therapy, who are the candidates needed to be treated? So basically, all the women post-menopause, uh, if their bone density showed more than, uh, more than T-score, more than minus 2.5, which means osteoporosis, they all needed to receive uh, medication treatment, plus calcium, vitamin D exercise. So what are the drug medication choices? The first line, the top uh, number one, the medication choice is uh, bisphosphonates, which include uh, Fosamax, Actonel, and the Boniva. The reason this is the first line is uh, one is uh, easy, simple to take. You know, it's a medication, oral medication, and also the price is not expensive. You know, it's uh, con compared to other medications, it's cheap. And also long-term safety, we have those informations. It's very safe. If a patient cannot tolerate oral medication, then we consider IV medication. <clears throat> There's an IV bisphosphonate medication available. It's called Reclast. I think many of our patients know that medication. It's a once-a-year IV medication. And uh, usually we need to go through the uh, Medicare insurance to get approval before we give the medication. If a patient cannot tolerate those uh, bisphosphonate, then the other medication include this prolier. This uh, medication is quite expensive. It's not a first-line treatment. We only use for patients they cannot tolerate 
bisphosphonate um, for other reasons like uh, renal insufficiency. If a patient has abnormal renal function, those patients usually cannot tolerate Boniva, Fosamax request, then we will consider Prolia. You know, this, it's a different category. The other medication, it's a perithyroid hormone therapy, which is a 4-teal. This is also a medication very, very expensive. Among all the other medications, this is the medication increase bone formation. All the other medication, it's basically reduce bone resorption. This 4-teal, it's increased bone formation. So 4-teal has a possible side effect, which is the renal cancer. So the treatment at this point, it's uh, only for two years. But this is a very expensive medication. It's not our first-line treatment. It's only for patients that has a very, very low bone density. Usually it's more than minus 3.5 and also couldn't tolerate other medications or not a response to the other medication treatment. In the past, we used a lot of medication like estrogen to uh, increase the bone density, but this is not our first line anymore. We only use the estrogen for those patients that they have uh, you know, the postmenopause symptoms like a hot flash. So we treat one medication, basically patients get benefit for both postmenopause symptoms and uh, increase the bone density. Calcitonin, which is a nasal spray, um, it's uh, become less, less, uh, less and less popular now. The reason is uh, <clears throat> we don't have a long-term safety data and also to improve uh, you know, the bone density, we don't, compared to other medications, seems like it's uh, not as good as other medications. So we use it less and less frequently. Now some patients also, also people uh, you know, ask for, how about the two medications? You know, maybe Fosamax uh, combined with the Fortil. So, so far all the studies showed those uh, two combination medication, it's not really superior compared to single medication treatment. So uh, for that uh, you know, reason, we are not recommend um, combination treatment uh, for any patients. <coughs> so what's the side effect of those medications? Lots of patients are con you know, concerned because uh, those uh, bisphosphonate when you take the medication, you need to sit straight for at least 30 minutes, and then you need to drink one to two eight ounces glasses of water to make sure the medication go down to the stomach. Only those patients, are they able to sit straight for 30 minutes, they can take oral medication. The reason is they, those medications might have a side effect, GI side effect. Mainly it's a reflux, esophagitis, peptic also disease, mm -hmm. but uh, even patients with those medications, uh, with those medical situations, the reflux, the esophagitis, peptic also disease, they are not uh, contraindicated for the medications. As long as you're able to drink a fluid, able to sit straight, you are still can take uh, those oral bisphosphonate. Only one condition you should not take a bisphosphonate. It's uh, called uh, um, Barry's esophagitis, which is a precancerous you know, esophag esophageal disease. So those patients, you shouldn't take those oral bisphosphonate. 
And also, you know, if a patient uh, cannot tolerate oral medication, say if they have a stomach structure, then they couldn't take medication. All the other patients should consider bisphosphonate. It's a first line of choice. So the other side effect is a hypocalcemia, low calcium level. So for all those patients, they receive bisphosphonate. We, you know, we always check their calcium level, check vitamin D level. And for patients that get IV request, it's very important to get those level checked. Make sure they have, you know, enough sufficient calcium, so can avoid those hypocalcemia. The other possible side effect is muscular, severe muscle ache, muscle pain. Very, very rare, but occasionally we get patients called said after getting medication, they have a very sharp, very severe, the muscle ache. And usually those pain, it's not reversible after you, you know, not, it's hard to say not reversible, but after you start to stop the medication, it will last for a while, sometimes a, a week, even two weeks. Eventually, when the medication went away, then the pain, you know, we disappear. But uh, this is a very, very rare side effect. Renal insufficiency, it's uh, another possible side effect. It's not common, but it can happen. So we, with all those uh, patients uh, receive bisphosphonate, we check their kidney function. If their creatinine clearance uh, less than 30%, those patients are contraindicated to get uh, um, oral bisphosphonate. So prodia would be the choice of, uh, you know, for those renal insufficiency patients. Eye side effect, ocular, which is also very rare, but can happen. And uh, usually it's uh, conjunctivitis, it's a pink eye, uveitis, Sometimes patients complain of uh, blurred vision, happens too. Now the other thing is about uh, osteonecrosis of the jaw. One time, many years ago, there was a report, Trendy Trendy, you know, Diane Soil reported that the case has uh, osteonecrosis, which is very, very rare. And uh, so only happens for those patients, uh, they use uh, uh, this, uh, uh, bisphosphonate for prolonged period of time, more than five years or more than 10 years. The reason is uh, those uh, majority medication, it's reduced the bone resorption. So the bone become harder, but they are old, so easy to break. But uh, so right now the current guideline, if a patient take a bisphosphonate, after five years, they should take a vacational break. You know, so don't continue. After five years, you need to consider to stop the medication and the recheck the bone density. Another possible side effect is atrial fibrillation, also very, very rare. And we believe this is related to low calcium level. So if you, you, know, you check a calcium level before you start the medication, you take calcium vitamin D regularly, we should be able to avoid those side effects. It's very, very rare. So should not be considered as a, you know, scared contraindication to start the medication. So how do we monitor, you know, after you start the treatment? How do we monitor the patient? Usually, uh, our bone density is, uh, we repeat every two years after you start a treatment. 
If the bone density improve or stay the same, stable, which consider the treatment it's useful, it's effective. If the bone density decrease, then you need to talk to the doctor. Maybe you need to consider to switch a different medications. Or at least we need to try to find out what's the reason cause this decrease. Could it be low vitamin D or not to take enough for calcium? You know, so we need to find the cause. And for a patient who has a, a osteopenia and which don't have a, too much uh, the fracture risk factor, they actually can repeat a bone density every three to five years. It's not necessary to repeat every two years. For people who have a normal bone density, exercise regularly, do not have those fracture risk factor, you can repeat a bone density every five to 10 years. So that's my talk. And I talk a little bit about a male patient. In the male patient, usually we do not recommend you know, the bone density test. In certain situations, I do. The patients, if they do a regular x-ray, and that the x-ray show that they are bone density, bone look very thin, you know, those patients we usually do need a repeat bone density. There's also one guideline regarding the male patient about the bone density. They are considered for patient over age 70, if they have those uh, fracture risk factors, smoker, you know, drink excessive alcohol, had a fracture before, those patients probably can um, do the bone density, male patient, and the treatment should be the same as a female patient. That's my talk. Thank you. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.